0: Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. and our service starts every Sunday at 10:10 10, 10 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you, and I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast 41 years old I suppose about 41 and a half now and over my life I have endured interruptions you ever been interrupted there's nothing quite so annoying than being interrupted at times have you ever tried to, to get a word out edgewise and, and the person that you're speaking with just won't let you talk? You ever, has that ever happened to you before? Maybe you are that person. I, 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 thank you. Someone interrupted right there. Someone said, not me. I, I heard that. I love it. I, I can think of some of the interruptions that I've had in my life over over the years Um, I I can remember one uh, that took place I I don't know some 14 years ago I was watching a baseball game in Montgomery Alabama on on the television and I was sitting there in my own little world and, and my wife comes around the corner and she said Stuart and I said yes my love what can I help you with oh I just love you and she said Stuart I need to tell you something and i said what's that and she said i'm pregnant hello uh, that's a happy interruption i would say and, and yet there was another time one of the very first times i ever preached as a matter of fact i was in front of a of a large congregation at the time i was nervous I was a youth pastor. See, we're so lucky. We have such a phenomenal youth pastor who never gets nervous when he comes up here and speaks. Man, he just slays it. We should give him applause. Good job, Josh. I love you. Josh does so great. But when I was a youth pastor, man, I would get nervous. Y'all probably don't know this about me, but I, every time I actually preach before you now, I get butterflies, even, even still. But I remember one time I was preaching. It was in front of a pretty large congregation. It was on a Sunday morning. It was even on TV, <laughs> broadcast to some 50,000 households. I was preaching away. And do you know what happened in the choir loft behind me? A fella had a heart attack. Most times I just put people to sleep, but he, I actually gave him a heart attack. Oh yeah, he fell out right up there. Thankfully he was okay, but you can imagine having to preach through that. Now, that, that was quite an interruption. I think about my wife sometimes. My, we have you know, three kids, as, as you all know. And God bless her, my wife gets interrupted all the time. All the time. She can't do anything without being interrupted. You've probably seen uh, those Facebook videos of moms that just want to go to the bathroom by themselves. And they just can't do that. There's always somebody with them. Angela, she'll go into the kitchen and, and she'll be working on dinner and trying to pull some things together. We, we lead a pretty busy lifestyle. And yet, it seems inevitably that no matter where she goes, she's always got one to three kids walking right behind her. She never has a mom. Moms, can you identify with that at all? Amen. Okay. God bless the mothers out there. Well, our lives are filled with interruptions. Sometimes these interruptions can be Rude. We deal with rude people all the time. Sometimes they can be random. We don't even expect them, and yet they just happen. And then other times they're redeeming. And this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at one of those redeeming interruptions. I will say, talk about a random interruption. We were in downtown Mobile last Saturday, and we were trying to take some Christmas pictures for Christmas cards. The struggle is real, after all. And so we pulled in, and... And uh, we were in our van, and Angela found a, this prime spot right there uh, off of government in, in, uh, in downtown Mobile. And she, she swung in that spot a little hot, if you know what I mean, kind of on two wheels, screeching and fire blazing behind us. And she bumped the curb, and you know what? She blew the tire out. Oh, I know. That was my, that was exactly my reaction. Oh, because guess who had to change it? Me. Oh my goodness, interruptions are everywhere. Well, do me a favor, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26, or yeah, verses 26 through 36, and we're going to be looking at verse 38. You've actually already heard this piece of scripture this morning, uh, but I think we should read it again. It says this in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town called Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine that for just a moment? Put yourself in Mary's position. You're going about your day, doing your thing, whatever Mary did, that's what she was doing. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up at the door. Greetings, Mary. You are highly favored. I imagine Mary was startled. I imagine she was a a bit scared. And then it goes on in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled. I would imagine Mary was greatly troubled. That's probably an understatement. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting is this? I think that's a good idea. In verse 30, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked this pretty obvious question, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This morning, I want to cover, really, uh, two Roman numerals with you. This morning, I want to dive into Roman numeral one. This angel was announcing. This angel came proclaiming. This angel came interrupting. And he made some very startling claims. One, he was announcing the graciousness of God. Mary, God's favor has found you. Friends, during this Christmas season, I I want to be an angel in your corner. I want to remind you during this Christmas season, a time of peace, joy, hope, and love, that God's graciousness is upon you. Maybe this morning you're down, you're downcast, and you're depressed. Well, friends, let me tell you, God is right there in your midst. He knows every trouble that you are suffering from. He sees every tear that has fallen from your eye. He knows the loss that you've experienced. And he knows that sometimes that Christmas season can amplify those feelings of despair. But yet God's graciousness has found you. Much in the same way that it found Mary. It found Mary in an obscure season. There was nothing that was very special about the time of year that Mary was given this great proclamation. It it, it was said that in this sixth month that Mary received this information from the angel. And friends, I would tell you the timing of the angel's visit is curious at best. And if you go back to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and you pick up with the first book of the New Testament, which of course is Matthew, you'll realize that there was some 500 years of silence between God and man. God did not speak to man for some 500 years. And then now, all of a sudden, breaking through the darkness, breaking through the deafness is God. He doesn't come, by the way, to speak to a king. He doesn't come, by the way, to speak to someone who's powerful. He comes to speak to Mary, a relative, no one. And yet there was nothing magical about this time. And yet, isn't it great that now we have God's word that speaks to us every time we open it and read it? God's word speaks to us so clearly these days. We don't have to wait 500 years. We don't have to wait for an angel to knock on our door. Every season is a season of proclamation. Every season is a season where God is speaking to you. Friend, you've got it better than Mary. Mary had to wait around and not us. We don't have to wait. All we have to do is close our eyes, humble ourselves and pray and God will speak to us. It was an obscure season, and yet God also chose an obscure site. He was gracious because he chose a weird time, and he chose a weird place. A weird place, Nazareth. Nazareth in the first century would have been incredibly small. The population would have been around anywhere from two to 400 people. Most of the people, by the way, would have been trade workers. They would have been maybe farmers. They would have worked in the fields in agriculture. We even know that Joseph, he, he was a carpenter and a stonemason. There was nothing that was very educational about Nazareth. There were no universities. There were no power centers. There was no places for trade in Nazareth. Nazareth, by the way, as archaeologists have gone back to, to look at it, they realize the people mainly just dwelled in huts. Most of them had dirt floors. Oh, Nazareth was a poor, poor place, a poor village filled with poor people, filled with a bunch of nobodies. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, it says this, Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look what he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. And Philip said, come and see. See, Nathanael knew. Nathanael knew that there was nothing special about Nazareth. Even after being introduced uh, and saying, this is Jesus, son of Joseph, Nathanael would have said, who? What in the world? God was gracious because he chose an obscure spouse. Joseph himself. We don't know much about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, and perhaps this is done on purpose in the gospel because Luke's gospel wants to frame the fact that Jesus' father was the father and not some earthly father. We have very little information about Joseph outside of the fact of what he did. We know that he had a trade, we know that he was a man. He was a man of resolve as he faced the embarrassment of being engaged to a woman who was pregnant before marriage and not putting her away in shame. Do you know, by the way, that Joseph had, had the right within Levitical law to actually take Mary out into the streets and have her stoned to death? And yet he didn't. We see a great tenderness about Joseph. We see a great love about Joseph. We see a great patience in Joseph. As the Bible tells us that when he found out that Mary was with child, that he wanted to put her out peacefully gracefully mercifully that he didn't want to see harm come to her Joseph was a man of great grace and forgiveness and yet we also know that Joseph was not around for much of Jesus's life do you know that after we hear the story of Jesus in the temple talking with the religious leaders that there's not one other mention of Joseph in the Bible Scholars and theologians believe that Joseph most likely passed away probably around Jesus' teenage years. And Joseph grew up without an earthly father, yet I'm sure it made him depend even more so on his heavenly father. And those of you that are in this room, you probably have seen stories. Maybe that is your story. I was spending some time with a family in our church just yesterday, and this very special lady. And I didn't know this about her story, but she began to tell me about her father that had passed away in her teenage years. I can't even imagine. Can you? And yet Jesus knew that sorrow. Jesus had her story before she ever had her story. And Jesus knew what it was like to have suffering and pain and loss and tragedy, just like we deal with today. Friends, I've said for a very long time that the Bible, while it is an old book, the principles that are in the Bible are the same principles that we live by even today. The same struggles, the same hardships, the same difficulties, the Bible is still very legitimate for us today. It's useful. The Bible tells us that Joseph was in the line of David, that he was a righteous man And we see that he was a deeply spiritual man. Matter of fact, if you were to flip over one chapter in Luke chapter 2, you'll see that it was Joseph who took Jesus to the temple just eight days after he was born to to be dedicated back to the Lord by the the priest Simeon. And so we know that Joseph was a deeply religious man. God was gracious because he chose an obscure spouse, but he was also gracious because he chose an obscure servant, Mary, Mary. And friends, let me just say this right off the bat. To say that Mary wasn't special would be incorrect. To all of my Catholic friends who love Mary. uh, Mary is very, very special. And to say otherwise would be theologically incorrect. And however, she may have been very special, but I would say that she was very obscure. She was a very obscure person throughout history, Many people believe that Mary was probably no more the age of 15 years old when she heard the knock of the angel Gabriel on her door. Can you imagine carrying a child at age 15 in the ancient world growing up in Nazareth and dealing with that kind of pressure Scripture tells us that Mary was also a righteous woman who had found favor with God. She was a phenomenal choice to be the mother of Christ, and however, her placement in the world and in the time that she lived made her a very obscure person. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't a princess. She was not physically, emotionally, or spiritually ready for the undertaking that she was going to have. She didn't even have a full understanding of how the birth would even take place. Remember, she asked God, God, how can this be? How can this be? I don't understand. She didn't even have the wherewithal to understand what spiritually was going to take place in her body. Never once, by the way, did Mary count the cost of God's visit to her. As Joseph knew the the Levitical law, Mary also knew it as well. And yet never once did Mary come to the Lord. But Lord, how will you spare my life? Lord, how will you keep me from being dragged into the streets? How will you protect me from the stones as they're thrown at me, Lord? Not once. She was not a mature woman by any stretch. She was plain. She was soft-spoken. She was reflective. She was obedient. She was someone to emulate and imitate, but certainly not to idolize. As we discover, Mary, in her, even though she carried the Lord Jesus Christ as her son, Mary, in her whole life, did nothing but point people to Christ, never back to herself. Why did God choose relative obscurity to announce the birth of his son? Why at this time? Why in this town? Why to this simple man of trade? Why to this simple, seemingly obscure, servant, trivial girl? And the reason, I think, is identification. Jesus came to the poor, not to the prestigious. He was born in the pit, not in the palace. He set aside his sovereignty to learn a skill and a trade he'd be fully God and fully man and he'd be someone that we as human beings could fully identify with if you were to see Jesus walking down the streets of Daphne and if you didn't know that it was him he'd look a lot like me and you he he would look just like me and you he'd be a human being wearing flesh and blood oh he came to identify with us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, listen to what Paul tells us. But God, he chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. Now, I'll be honest with you. If, if it were Stuart's Christmas story, that this is not the story that I would have chosen. And chances are, neither would have you. You would have had Jesus born as a king. You would have him born with all the trappings and the successes of royalty. And yet God sent him a different way so that we could all identify with him. I can't identify with a king, but I can identify with a peasant. And the angel was announcing the graciousness of God, but he was also announcing the greatness of God He says in verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never ever end. Jesus is the greatest that has ever lived. His birth split time in half. People that don't even believe him still say his name. People that are looking for him can find him. And Jesus is still making a mighty difference in the world today as we know it. There is none greater, there will never be anyone greater than Jesus of Nazareth. We uh, signed up as a family for a service called Disney Plus. Has anybody ever heard of Disney Plus? Does anybody have Disney Plus? Am I the only one? Okay, oh, great. The Tapleys are in. Great. What's the first show you watched? Do you mind me asking? Do you remember? The Mandalorian. It's a good show. I like it. Sandlot. I knew it was coming. Okay, very good. Well, we got this, this, uh, this, uh, this service called Disney Plus, and man, my kids are all over it. They love it. I mean, I wake up, and it's Good Luck Charlie on TV all the time, and they just have a ball with it. One of, the, one of the first shows that I watched, though, on, on Disney+, Plus. see, I'm a Marvel person. I like superheroes. And so one of the very first shows that I watched was one of my favorite Marvel movies, which was the first Avengers movie. Do you remember that movie? Some of you didn't go see it, and that's okay. But there's a scene involving Steve Rogers, who's Captain America, all right? I love Captain America. It's a scene involving Steve Rogers... And Thor, this Norse silly superhero, and they're about to get into a fight, Thor and Steve Rogers. And if you remember the scene, Natasha Romanoff, they're, they're flying in this incredible airplane, and Natasha Romanoff looks back at Steve Rogers as he's about to go diving out of the plane to go chase after Thor, and she says, Captain, I, I'd sit this one out. I, I'd, I'd stay in the plane, Cap." I wouldn't jump out of that plane after Thor if I were you. And, and Captain Rogers, Captain America, he turns back and he says, I don't see how I can sit this one out. I've got to go for it. And Natasha Romanoff says, these guys come from legend, Captain. They're basically gods, little G, little G. And Captain America responds back, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. God is great. God is great in purpose. Image is Yeshua. And Yeshua means He will save, and it's translated into English as Joshua. Jesus is great. He is great in purpose. He is great in power. Scripture tells us that Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High God. The angel is connecting the dots for Mary. Her son will be divine and will carry with him all the divine power that is afforded to him as the Son of God. Jesus was so powerful, he knew the future. Jesus was so powerful... He could correct Satan and rebuke him. He was so powerful that he could hear the thoughts of men as if they were being spoken aloud. Jesus was so powerful that he could look so deeply and so intimately into the heart of an individual that he knew their very motivation behind their actions. Jesus could heal that which was broken. He could feed that which was starving. He could clothe that which was naked. Jesus could make the the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the mute to speak. Jesus could do miracle upon miracle. He could walk on water as if he was dancing on a dance floor. There is no one that is greater. There is no one that is more holy. There is no one that could ever beat out the name of Jesus. It's all about the greatness of God. Not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. A quote from John Piper. The the angel was announcing God's greatness, but he was also announcing the glory of God. The glory of God. In verses 35 and 37, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and she who is said to be barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Probably my favorite verse in all of the Bible, that nothing is impossible with God. Mary, I know you're a virgin. Now, I'm not going to get into the brass tacks of that this morning. We've got kids here, but we all know what that means. Mary, you're a virgin, but guess what? You're with child. By the way, he he did the same trick, oh, a long time ago with a fellow named Abraham and Sarah. Remember that story? Sarah was 96 years old. 96! And God sent three messengers representing his triune self. He sent three messengers to Abraham and Sarah, and he said to Sarah, Sarah, good news. Though you are advanced in age, and though you have been barren for many, many years, you will be with child, and you will name him Isaac. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember Sarah's response? She laughed. She said, that is a hilarious joke, God. That is a really good one. And yet she was with child. There was another time in one of my favorite books, the book of First Samuel. I love the book of First Samuel. Samuel the prophet was something else. Do you remember the story of Hannah in the book of First Samuel? Hannah, who was a servant in the temple, she loved the Lord with all of her heart. And yet the scripture remembers her as being barren, unable to have a child. And it was heartbreaking for her. It was devastating for her. The longer she served the Lord, the more hurtful she became that she was unable to produce a child. And so she began to pray and pray and pray. And finally, the Lord came to Hannah and said, Hannah, you're with child. And and Hannah told the Lord, Lord, if you will give me this child, I will give him back to you, and you can use him for your grand purposes and for your glory. And that's exactly what she did. And then we have the encounter with Mary. Mary, you're not married. You're a virgin, and yet you're with child. My goodness, nothing is impossible with God. God took the most impossible thing to happen and made it so. Just in the blink of an eye. So my question this morning is this. What is impossible right now with you? What's the impossible thing that you're dealing with right now? Is it a disease? Is it some terminal illness? Is it some conflict at home? Is it that your marriage is falling apart? Is it a problem with a classmate? Is it a, a failing grade? Is it a, an issue here at church that you think, gosh, Lord, you'll never, we, we can't get it fixed. Oh, yes, we can. Sure we can. You know why? Because nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. You know, Saul was thought to be a lost cause. Y'all remember Saul? Walking on that road to Damascus, looking to hunt down Christians, have them killed. And many people think that Saul actually got saved on the road to Damascus. That's actually not biblical. He, He actually did not get saved on the road to Damascus. God sent Ananias, remember that? He was, in, he was at the house on Straight Street. And it was after that when someone came to share Christ with Paul that he became a believer in Christ. And see, friends, most people believe that Saul was a lost cause. Oh, Saul, man, that guy was murderous and was breathing out threats against Christians. He was killing people. He wanted, that guy was so bloodthirsty that people said, surely no, there's no way. I mean, even the apostles couldn't believe that this guy was now a different person, Paul. Friends, let me just remind you this morning that nothing is impossible with God. God can change the hearts of men. He can change the hearts of women. He can take people that are dropped dead in atheism and draw them right out and into his light. He can take people that are eaten up with cancer and heal them like that. He can take folks that are battling all kinds of disease and alcoholism and addiction. And he can deliver them within like that. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. You are not a lost cause and neither am I. And maybe this morning you've brought yourself in here and you're thinking to yourself and you're kicking rocks and, goodness gracious, I'm lost and and nothing's going right. And you cry yourself to sleep at night. Friend, nothing's impossible with God. Trust him. Trust him. He won't let you you down and he won't let you go. Mary certainly thought to herself, my goodness, how in the world is this going to happen? But nothing's impossible with God. Let's say that together this morning. Ready? One, two, three. Nothing is impossible with God. He can turn every situation right. The glory of God. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and he said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Look at Mary's teachable moment. Mary was, of course, distressed. In Luke chapter 1, verse 29, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And I would say, if you had to highlight the largest understatements found in Scripture, this would be the number one understatement that has ever been said in all of the Bible. She was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this is. I would love to have been a fly on the wall when Mary encountered that angel to see what her true reaction is. There's something about Luke's description that I find lacking. (laughs) I imagine he probably dialed it back a little bit. But I imagine that Mary was very concerned. Friends, when God gives you an assignment, how do you respond? God gave Mary an assignment But the one thing I love about Mary's response was that she never panicked. She never panicked. She fully trusted. Usually, we think when God gives us an assignment that we're underqualified, you know, God, listen, I hear what you're saying, but I don't have the right education for this. I didn't go to school and learn this training. I, I don't know that I can do that. Some of us say, well, Lord, not only am I, uh, not only am I underqualified, but I'm also ill-equipped. Lord, um, gosh, I know you've got this assignment for me to do, and I know you want me to go do these things for these people and for me to, to, to be out there on the field, but Lord, I don't have the right tools. God, I, I don't have the whole Bible memorized, so I can't go share Jesus with somebody. I'm ill-equipped. And then... We're off to Also, many times, we think that we're not deserving. Lord, surely there's got to be somebody better than me to do this job. Again, go back to the book of Exodus, and you're introduced to a character by the name of Moses. Moses, by every worldly standard, was pretty much a failure. I mean, he was a failure. The guy was a murderer, by the way. And yet God comes to him in the form of a burning bush, gives him an assignment. And, you know, we often prop up Moses, as we should, but Moses, who had the better response? Let's just be honest. Who has the better response? Big, bad, powerful Moses or little bitty obscure Mary? It's not even, a, it's not even close, right? Jerry, it's not even close. Not even close. All Moses did was fill God with all of his empty excuses. Oh, Lord, I, I'm not, I can't go to my people. I, I can't go to them. They'll never accept me, Lord. Lord, I don't, I'm not equipped. I can't speak in front of folks, Lord. I don't, have, I don't have the ability. I'm not a great orator. They'll never follow me. Lord, I, I'm, I'm not the person you need to send. Lord, I'm a murderer. I've done all these terrible things. Surely, there's got to be somebody better. Oh, friends, let me tell you. Mary received an unbelievable assignment. You're going to raise the son of the most high God. I tell you right now, leading the people out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land, man, that's a cakewalk in comparison to what Mary got. And yet she didn't panic. We remember that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He gives you the knowledge, the tools, the people to help you. Adam had Eve. Moses had his staff and he had Aaron. David had five smooth stones and a slingshot. God gave Solomon the wisdom that he needed to be king. He spoke through prophets, and he speaks through his word. He speaks through, his, through, through our prayers. When God calls us, never fear because he'll help us. Mary's response is a teachable moment. We see Mary's distress, then we see Mary's doubt. That's a very human response, by the way, doubt. In Luke chapter 1, verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I am a virgin, how is this going to happen? Well, friends, I have been there many times myself, found myself in a situation, and wondered, Lord, how are you going to make this right? Is there something I need to do to make it right? Is there something you need to do to make it right? How am I going to make things right? How am I going to make things right? Between a friend, between a brother, between my wife, between my children. How am I going to see these relationships restored and healed? And chances are you've been there as well. Or you've had relationships that are busted and broken and bruised and beat down. And you wonder to yourself, Lord, I'm praying. I I need you to help me figure this out. And Mary did the same. She doubted and she wondered, but she never panicked. Sometimes, sometimes. I think the only time we can see the Lord is in the dark. It's in the times of great despair and in the times of suffering. I heard a story one time of a preacher who was preaching over in Louisiana, and electricity had just been given to that church, and so they were in a night service. By the way, that's one reason why we have night services, because way back in the days of early electricity, people knew that their churches had electricity. They would come, and they'd sit in the service and look at all the pretty lights that were on. Pretty cool reason to have a night service. Well, boy, this preacher was getting after it, and it was in a rural part of Louisiana, and this Louisiana church didn't have a bunch of lights, but they had one light. They had one light. And as that preacher was getting after it behind the pulpit, preaching up a heart, his heart and his soul, he was sweating. Guess what happened to that light? It burned out. Burned out. And all those people in the Louisiana church were just sitting there in the dark. And the preacher had stopped preaching. And there was a deacon who was sitting in the back. And he wanted to encourage that preacher. And he, he stood up in the dark and he said, preach on, Preacher we can still see Jesus in the dark. It's a good lesson. Sometimes we see Jesus the greatest, not in the the times where it's great. I'll be honest with you. I, I have seen Jesus more in days of hardship. I have seen Jesus more in days of discouragement than encouragement. I've seen Jesus moving in a more mighty way When we're frustrated Sometimes I think Jesus allows us to go through dark times So that we can appreciate the times of light Mary doubted but she didn't panic And lastly she was distressed She doubted but she deferred She deferred away from her will to God's will She said in verse 38 I am the Lord's servant Mary answered May it be to me as you have said and then the angel left her. I can imagine in my in my mind's eye that when that angel knocked on Mary's door, that when it was opened, that it her her little hut and dirt floor, that it was just filled with light. And they had this brief conversation. And then all of a sudden, that angel was gone, and she left, or and Gabriel left Mary in the dark. Mary was blind. I. Uh, I bought this a long time ago. Y'all probably know what this is. See people have these sometimes? It's a cane for someone who has the disability of blindness. I keep this in my drawer in my office. I I never remove it. It it has been in the drawer in my office for the better part of nine years. Now, I, I keep it in there because sometimes I'll have a deacon get out of control and I'll have to hit him with it. No, sometimes I need to be hit with it, probably. But I keep it in there, one, because it's a great illustration that God will give you the tools that you need to navigate when you feel like you are blind, when you feel like you are in darkness. Mary, when she was given this incredible assignment, she was pretty much left in the dark. Notice that the angel didn't tell her the future. She didn't tell her, that the angel didn't tell Mary, hey, but guess what, Mary? Joseph's gonna stick by you. He's not going to put you out, Mary. You don't have to worry about that. No, no, no. She didn't have any of that information. Mary simply said, I'll do it if you tell me to. It's almost like in her blindness, she pulled out a cane of faith and she began to walk. And sometimes, friends, that's what we have to do as well. We may not know what's right out in front of us, but we know what's right there. We we have no idea what, what God could be bringing to us. And just the other day I was reading my Bible. It was about eleven thirty at night. And I was praying. My wife was there beside me and and she was praying as well. But do you know that when my wife prays at nighttime, she snores? Did y'all know that? I'm kidding, she's not a snore. She was asleep. I was not. But I was reading my Bible and praying, and I asked the Lord, Lord, I I don't know what's out in front of me, and neither does any of you. But, Lord, I'm going to choose to believe in you. I'm going to have faith, Lord. Wherever you take me, no matter what you have me do, I'm going to have faith. And, friend, let me tell you, faith is better than fear. Faith is way better than fear. And so this morning, maybe you are embracing fear. Maybe God has given you an assignment that you don't quite understand. Let me encourage you today. I promise you this, God has called the right person because he's called you. I promise you this, God has given you the tools you need because he's given you a great church and he's given you great friendships. And God has a powerful mission for you, a powerful assignment that is just for you, just like he has for me. So this morning, I would encourage you to do this. Be like Mary. Be like Mary and embrace the assignment and embrace faith over fear. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you love us. Lord, help us to answer you when you interrupt us. Lord, I pray that you will continually keep our eyes fixed on you. And that, Lord, we will embrace faith over fear. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to share together today. A time where we've been able to read your word. And a time we've been able to be encouraged. And, Lord God, we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I would- Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. And we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.